You're listening to WALT. Homemade Radio. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. One of the things that you've heard us do this year on the show is experiment more than we ever had previously with narratives that take multiple episodes to unfold. And part of the inspiration for that process is one of our show's former producers, Janielle Kastner. Janielle and I worked very closely on seasons two and three of Family Ghosts. She is, among other things, an extremely talented playwright. And since so many of our episodes in seasons two and three were so heavily scripted, I found her narrative counsel to be invaluable. She had such a keen ear for which characters in our stories needed to feel more present, or in some cases less present. In particular, in our series on the Love Family, it was Janielle who pushed for the increased prominence of a woman named J.L., the midwife in the Love Family, who was responsible for preserving the birth records at great personal peril of the children born into the Love Family. So it was with great interest when I found out about a podcast Janielle herself was producing called Untitled Dad Project. It is one Family Ghost's style story that unfolds over an entire season. And the main character in that story is Janielle herself. Janielle never met her father, and she always hoped that one day she might get the opportunity. But just when it seemed like that day was about to finally arrive, he died. An Untitled Dad Project is the story of her attempt to grapple with that loss. And what's remarkable about it is the fact that Janielle doesn't shy away from the fact that she has always used art to process significant moments in her life. And she recognizes that it would be dishonest for her to do anything other than that when it comes to the death of her father. And this week on our show, I'm going to play you the first episode of Untitled Dad Project, as well as a conversation that I had with Janielle and her fellow producer and director and dear friend, Carson, whose voice also plays a big part in the telling of Untitled Dad Project. This is an episode I shared once before as a bonus episode, which is no longer available here in the feed. And when I shared it the last time, the full Untitled Dad Project series wasn't out yet. But now it is. So if you like what you hear on the show today, I encourage you to find it in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this and give it a listen. It is a work of bravery and beauty and wonder and heart. From WALTFM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. After the break, Untitled Dad Project, the prologue. I want to tell you a story. It's the story of my dad character. Problem is, I can't. 
because I don't know it. I don't know my dad, and I've never known the story of why he wasn't in my life. A few years ago, I got his email address and started drafting him a message, drafting and redrafting. Before I could send him anything, he died. He was declared dead on my birthday, and I found out none of his friends knew I existed. So, then, the story's a bit on the nose with its details. A pit of grief opened up inside me. Perhaps you know the kind of pit that I'm talking about. A feeling of loss I couldn't put words to, about a man whose absence I couldn't explain, and a reconciliation that was still a series of sentences I'd been typing and deleting in my mind. From inside this pit, I made a decision. I want words. I want to finally know my own story. I've always been braver as a writer than I have as a person. Maybe if I can't make emotional sense out of this, I can at least make narrative sense out of it. I decided to extend myself the same dignity I would to any protagonist. I decided to find a meaningful resolution, even if I have to write it myself. So before I knew what I was doing, that's what I was doing. Shortly after my father died, I started interviewing experts in my life who could help me understand myself as a character, and interviewing experts in my dad's life who could help me understand him as a character, and experts who just know how to craft really good stories. Pretty early on, my good friend and favorite director, Carson McCain, joined me in these interviews. Hey, that's me. I'm Carson. And now, together in a booth, we are taking years worth of interviewing, grieving, and creating, putting it all together, examining it, activating it, and figuring out my story. Four years of the grieving process smushed into eight or so chapters, each with a different narrative theme. By the end of this, I'll have reckoned with my dad character, found that meaningful narrative resolution, and I'll finally, finally know my own story. That's what you're about to hear. Now this is the prologue, where we get you ready for all of that. Exactly. So what all do people need to know to get ready for chapter one? Y'all need to know how time works. <laughs> in grieving and in creating, time is just a snake eating its own tail. Each episode is organized by theme, not by chronology. You'll hear us interviewing people from four years ago and then us immediately debriefing then. And then you'll hear us in the booth now commenting on it. And because we've been working on this for four years, we pretty incorrectly often say how long ago this interview has been. So just forgive us for all the times we say two years ago when we mean four years ago. We get it. We know. Abandon all chronology, ye who enters here. The other thing you need to know in this prologue is who you'll hear from. So you're going to get to hear from people who know me very well. I love you, and I'm very proud of you, and I, I thank God that he chose me to be your mom. And you'll hear from people who knew my dad character. Yeah, I, I see a lot of him in you, mm. which is a good thing. You'll also hear from people who are helping me understand narrative and what makes a good story and a great resolution. The key is that you ask the right questions and that you don't settle for easy answers. Maybe this is the way you get to know your dad. Now, say whatever you want to say. And none of it is melodrama. It's just human. And you'll also hear from people who just stumble their way into the story. Yeah, sure. I guess I, that's fair to say. I'm an expert in burying your father. Next thing you need to know, your hosts are us. So I'm Jean Yell. I grew up Jan Yell, nicknamed Jan. So all of this, much illegitimacy makes. 
What's my real name? You'll hear every kind of version of Janielle's name. Uh, in addition to that, my name is Carson, but my nickname is Cat. Carson Cat. Kitty Cat for special occasions. <laughs> yes. Get excited. It's all me. All of this is us. In each of these chapters, we pick a narrative theme to look at, and my job is to figure out what does my character need to learn from that theme, whether it's plot or genre or script. And Carson's job is to keep us honest and on track. And you also make sure that we activate each of these themes. Yes, everything that you learn that you want to take from these themes, we have to find some way to integrate it into your story. So we call that activation. Oh, I wrote this down. Here's something we could do. I think we should activate it by a bunch of men being nice to me. So I don't read the stage directions. I'll read stage directions. Why not have an interview with a cat? This thing, the grieving process, it's a lot like the creative process. The highs are high. Sean! Hi! That's so sweet. I did it! The lows are low. I'm going to blow my snotty nose into this luxurious Target bath towel. This is a really hard story. Why did we never talk about this? And in both the grieving process and the creative process, the breakthroughs aren't what you expect them to be. I don't know. Does it matter? Does it matter to you? Oh. That's a better question, isn't it? That's much more affecting to me than to you. (laughs) I don't know what to do now. I don't either. Oh, you know what I'm doing? I'm grieving. Now, as for this story we're trying to figure out, here's what we know so far at the beginning of this thing and what you need to know. First thing our story needs, a protagonist. And we've got one. Protagonist is me. We call me Jan character most of the time because... I'll be honest, I wanted to disassociate. Next, we need to know the backstory. So everyone has the same working details that we do to start off with chapter one. So these are the facts of our Jan character's life, abridged. Our Jan character is born to a mom character who loves her a lot and a dad character who's not in the picture, and she doesn't know how or when he wrote himself out of the picture. When she's a kid, she has these sort of snippets of memories of when her dad would show up. So when she's a toddler, he comes to her house and refuses to read a book to her. Yes, it was Strawberry Shortcake. Later, he comes to a school play of hers. It was Peter Rabbit. When she's in junior high, there's a Father's Day lunch, and it's kind of awkward. And she gives him a book of Farside comics. And then in high school, she gets a birthday card from him. It's signed Dad slash Rick. And that's the last time she hears from him. Another important fact, her dad character doesn't pay child support for most of her life. And her mom character takes him to court periodically, and more often than not, he doesn't show up. And when she's a preteen and a teenager, her friends sort of start to ask her, you know, what's the deal with your dad character? And she just sort of shrugs it off and doesn't really say anything. And in that, the people in her life assume she doesn't want to talk about her dad character. But the truth is, she doesn't know how to talk about her dad character, even if she tried. Next, you graduate from theater school and start a career Not as a writer. Me. I don't know who this God me is you're it. talking about. It's a Jan character. Uh, uh, <laughs> but yes, Jan character does go to theater school where she meets a Carson character. Yeah. And she decides she wants a career as a writer and a performer. And this is probably dumb, but she doesn't care because she really loves stories. When she's 24, her dad character finally shows up in court. And her mom sees him there, 
gets his email address and passes it off to Jan Character. Mom Character says you should email him. She has a premonition that Dad Character doesn't have much time left. But Mom Character often has premonitions, so Jan kind of blows this off. But still. Then, when she's still 24, Jan Character decides she's going to reach out to him. Yes, she starts drafting that email in her mind to him again and again, drafting and redrafting. Next important fact, she turns 25 and gets an email. The subject line says, her dad character's name, comma, deceased. She learns that he's dead. That's a fact. She learns that none of his friends knew she existed. That's a fact. She shows up to his memorial services as his surprise bastard daughter. That's a fun fact. She doesn't know who she is anymore. A pit opens up and threatens to swallow her whole. Fact, fact, fact. So not a great story. (laughs) But we're working on it. Yeah. We'll make it a good one. Now you know all the details I'm working with at the beginning of this story. Everything I know, you know. This isn't S-Town. You already know the big plot twist. My dad died. This isn't Serial. You've got all the important details at the top. Like, my version of the Best Buy phone booth is that Strawberry Shortcake book. Cell phone towers is the Peter Rabbit play. And my dad character's death doesn't have a cool true crime angle, no mystery. We're not going to find out he's Richard Simmons. This is just a sad thing that happened. There are lots of sad things that happen. There are lots of people with bad dads. There are lots of deaths every minute. But I think each of those sadnesses, each of those bad dads, each of those deaths are worthy We just have to figure out what makes them a good story. So my dad's death is just a thing that happened. But it happened to me. And now we're going to make it a story so maybe I can find some kind of meaning. Years ago, I heard Roger Ebert say, a film is not about its subject. It's about how it's about its subject. And I've thought about that ever since. The details that we're starting with That's just what happened. Not sending an email, regretting it, a pit of grief opening up, not knowing who you are anymore. That's just what happened. But a story isn't what happens, it's how it happens. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you my story. But first, we have to figure out how it happens. Welcome to my Untitled Dad Project. What is the inciting incident? You have a lot of choices. I asked my mom when I was young, I said, what do I tell my friends when they ask why I only have a mommy and not a mommy and a daddy? And she said, just tell them it's not your story to tell. Ah, see, that's, see, now it's becoming interesting. How did it feel that that dad never came? How did it feel? You don't know you know anything until you can write it down. That was the prologue for Untitled Dad Project, John Yell Kastner's fascinating exploration of grief, storytelling, and creativity. We'll be back after a quick break for a conversation with John Yell and Carson about how the project came to be. Stay tuned. Can you guys talk a little bit about 
your relationship that predates working together on the podcast, like how you how you got to know each other and became collaborators? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. that's my favorite thing to talk about. So Carson <laughs> was not my theater child, but she was my adopted theater niece because we met in theater school, the subtext of that theater school. And you get like a big and a little. Yeah. So so basically, like, you know, in sororities, you get a you are a big and you get a little and you sort of mentor them. Our version of that with theater was uh, you have a theater family, and so mothers get daughters and fathers get sons. And Carson wasn't mine, but I kind of claimed her adjacently. So she was my niece. Basically, you just, like, guide them through and just, like, love them and like, make them feel like a person, um, which is very funny. And then we became real friends. The time I, th- I think I thought we were, like, we were real friends is— when you went through a breakup and you mm. came to me and cried. I and cried I, on the carpet of your dorm room floor while you were trying to Skype someone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, oh, no. But I remember feeling like, oh, we're good enough friends that I'm not just taking from this person. Like she's, you know, she she can, she wants something from me too. Like this is real friendship is like a give and a take. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like yeah. the moment I knew that you were my true and real friend. Um it, I, I think maybe it takes me longer to realize these things um, was when we were working on this process and we get to a point uh, of the project in a later episode where I try to do an exercise of lamenting because someone gave me that advice and it doesn't work. And I asked Carson if she wants to lament kind of as a joke and she takes it very seriously and just cries out to some higher being, why did you let something bad happen to my friend? And mm. um, it was like the tears I wasn't crying, she was crying. Um, and that was a moment yeah. where I realized, oh, someone can sit with me in my grief and can bear witness to it. And um, and I think the true sign of true friendship is um, like, why do why would anyone let anything bad happen to this person? I wish I could protect them from it. Um, yeah, it just was a, a moment of true love and perf- protection. But this project, this process, this process has certainly um, brought us a million times closer. Yeah, for sure. So the development of the friendship particularly in your case, John Yell, it sounds like permeated the creative process. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it is a wild and scary thing to let people in on your mildest imperfections. The fact that you are <laughs> late sending emails, the fact that you are have a messy car, and all of those intimacy makes, right? And then you just um, escalate that up to letting somebody in on your messy creative process and seeing how bad it is and asking them to help you make it better. Um, that is so much intimacy. And then opening them up and saying, um, would you mind sitting with me quietly in the pit of grief? Um, yeah. Is one of the truest, most, uh, truest forms of intimacy I've ever experienced in a friendship. And it's been with um, Carson. Yeah. So, Janielle, what was the moment for you that you knew that you wanted to not only make a piece of art out of this experience around your father's death, but to make a podcast specifically. I had the experience of um, never having known the story of why my dad wasn't in my life, but all of a sudden people needing a story for why my dad, all of a sudden needing that. Because, you know, you say, oh, my Ah. dad died. I I found out, I got an email while I was at work. I was working late. That's where I found out that he died. Um, And I walked into my boss's office and said, "Um, my dad died. And he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, well, I didn't know him, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) How do you... What oh, do man. I say next? You have no 
I have no con. I have no story. I have no lines. I have no POV. I, I can't hand anything to anybody because I don't have it for myself. I just knew I had to make some sense out of this, and I couldn't make any emotional sense out of it. So I thought, well, I'll just make narrative, right? I'll, I'll make narrative sense of it. I knew it was going to be a podcast because I knew I wanted to have conversations. I wanted to learn how to talk about my dad. I wanted an excuse to ask people about him. Yeah. And I knew, and podcasts to me are so much more intimate than any other medium. I can Mm -hmm. be talking to you in your ear while you're commuting on the train. No one else knows that I'm talking to you, but you and I. I'm so interested to hear you say that you you felt like you knew it needed to be a podcast because you wanted to have conversations. And that, I think, is one of the things that I found most surprising in listening as I, and it was a pleasant discovery, but I did not expect the show to be so conversationally driven. And one of the things that's really remarkable about, about that is I feel, I, I don't know if I could have named it until you just gave that answer, but I feel like I'm listening to you figure out how to talk about your dad and your situation overall kind of in real time. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm ambiently aware of the fact that the show is edited and I'm not hearing everything, but you leave in so much of your fumbling for words. And again, <laughs> not not in an awkward way. I, I don't mean any of this in an awkward way. I mean it in the sense that it it does feel like you are, you're making us privy to this experience that you've never had before that is so much about how to be in a conversation that most people don't have to think very carefully about, which is talking about your family and the circumstances of your family. Um, Carson, I'm interested to know for you what it was like to, having directed plays, um, what what was it like to be a director for this, this series of conversations and scenarios? Oh, it's a fascinating challenge. Um, I liked to go in uh, to any interview we did knowing that I'm sitting there as a silent ally to Janiel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my job to jump in. However, I do think it is my job to hold tightly to the things I think are important to Janiel's story mm-hmm. um, and, and to offer them back to her later. Right. Um, so I so I've I've found that when I direct actors, oftentimes I see like, oh, this is where we're going, but this is where we are, and I'm going to hold tight to where we're going as we take the steps towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of my directing conversations has been okay. I'm going to sit here silently in this conversation in this interview. I'm going to hold on to where I think we might be going. Um, and then Janielle and I get in the booth and we start talking about those interviews and we play them back and Janielle has ideas. Um, but that's where I give myself space to interrupt and say, hey, here's a thing. Yep. Yep. I can finally tell you this thing that I was feeling in that mm. moment. Yes. Or this thing that I was feeling, did you feel the same way? Or, or this was an incredible moment. Did you notice it? And <laughs> right. sometimes the answer is like, yes. And sometimes right. it's, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like what I just did, which is tell me more about where you're going because I have no idea where it's going to be and I bet it'll help. Yeah. So we did an interview with um, uh, Aaliyah, our executive producer's good friend, who um, was— Oh, my God. I forgot about that interview. Yeah. <laughs> that was so long ago. It was so long ago. It was— um, 
with this woman who was a chaplain in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, her job was to sit with people while people, like, while a doctor told them, like, your loved one has died. And, like, she sits with people in grief. Yeah. And so I, I don't even remember what this interview was about. But that was a moment that I thought to myself, this podcast is so much bigger than Janielle's specific story of grief. Mm. And I remember, th- I remember thinking, like, this podcast means something to anyone who has ever experienced grief. Because by we're letting people in on that super vulnerable space. And so so I feel like I I sat on this idea of I might know what I or I might have an idea about what I think the point of this podcast is. (laughs) Well, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is like Janielle's and and I think the worthy goal and Janielle's goal is like find a narrative resolution. Yeah, and meaningful narrative resolution. Yeah, and we're going to keep seeking that, and that's what we're chasing after. But, like, all of a sudden, I started noticing, after that interview, like, the byproduct of the podcast, which is beautiful human connection. And I, But, like, Janielle and I did not talk about that. That we interview didn't. was two years ago, and we didn't talk about it until we just had, like, a pre-brief for an episode, and I was like, I'm going to tell you, like, a thing that I've been thinking for a really long time. I think a thing that you've taught me, you've created a space for me to have my grief as problematic as it is, as regressive as it is, as 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 frustrating as it is when you think you've climbed over a hurdle only to find yourself looped back around and you're in front of the same hurdle again. You've created a space for me to um, feel my feelings and uh, assumed my feelings are worthy and we'll figure out how along the way. Um, and, and that's given me the power to take m- all of my problematic, confusing, frustrating feeling seriously and let them mm. be felt. I have to say, I, I also hear you, not to presume or name your experience, but I also hear you being kind of gobsmacked by the idea that you're allowed to have an experience and rather than a story. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like oh. <laughs> oh, Sam, I love that. <laughs> that was great. Carson's going to store that away and make yes. sure that... Yes. Uh, she eventually convinces me it was my idea. (laughs) (laughs) After the break, a look ahead at what's to come on Untitled Dad Project, including Janiel's fraught exchange with a Hollywood screenwriting legend. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. In episode 1A of Untitled Dad Project, which just came out this week, Janielle has an intense and wide-ranging discussion with legendary screenwriting instructor Robert McKee, who drills Janielle in what he says is necessary to turn her experience into a compelling story. It's a very harrowing listening experience. Robert, who didn't know Janielle at all before they got on the phone together, does things like accuse Janielle's mom of being a liar and a member of a religious cult. I found the episode fascinating both as someone following Janielle's story and as a fellow audio storyteller. I think the the reason that I was interested in the choice to, to have him as your expert, I'm realizing comes from knowing you outside of the project and knowing that you you are 
a playwright. You are somebody who has written a lot of stories um, and knows a lot about character development and give incredible notes on story and character development in Family Ghost episodes. And your willingness to kind of put that aside in this conversation and to my ear at least, present yourself to this person almost as though you had never thought about these issues before, opened up this really, really dynamic space where, as a listener, I'm worried about you at various points, and then I hear you tell me that even though he's being harsh in a lot of moments, the points that he's making are resonating with you, and then it brings me out of a space of worrying about you and, you know, feeling like this stranger who has this culturally endowed authority is naming your emotional life in all these intense ways. Um, And then all of a sudden, it's like you've brought, by telling me that you appreciate some of the things he's saying, you've brought me in even closer to the story by saying that you are aware that he's being indelicate, but that you are strong enough to handle what he's throwing at you. Um, and I'm curious to know, is that what it was like inside of the conversation? Because that, that's what it felt like as a listener. But I'm, I'm curious to know if that, that's what it felt like to you as someone who is already an artist to be having this conversation with him. Yeah. Okay. So two things there. Don't let me forget both of them. The first one is the the writer and producer and person who gives you notes on your story and has such um, opinions about um, how to make them clearer. That person is someone who has been working on UDP for four years. So <laughs> a lot of the clarity that I've had to apply to my own story, and um, you want to talk about killing your darlings, like you're working on your own life, being precious about your own, own grief, mm-hmm. and then having to cut it all or realize that the story isn't what you thought it was after all, on such a large macro way and also such a deeply personal way, then it's made me, um, I think, a lot less precious and a lot more honest mm. about my storytelling. So I think yep. you're 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 uh, you're reaping the benefits of this four-year UDP process in <laughs> um, my family ghost notes. The person who sat down in that booth with Robert McKee did not know what her story was about. She mm-hmm. knew she was sad. She knew she didn't know why she was sad, and she mm-hmm. knew that she was going to make something out of this. That's all that she knew when she got in that booth. Gotcha. Um, so the things that he is he's placing before me genuinely had not occurred to me. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there was so much about my mom and my relationship that I, I didn't really know about yet. There was so much I didn't know. And listening back to that interview was so painful. It was a level of Dante's Inferno of purgatory to have <laughs> to listen back to this interview, you know, years later and edit it and trim it down. And, oh, my God, it, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody because um, I was so— <laughs> blind to my own life and my own experience. Granted, he's not, like, correct about my life and my experience, but he is um, drawing out like a like a sieve. Like, he's just drawing out themes that are latent underneath that I have then taken and um, applied authentically to my story. So I, I was um, genuinely that um, blindsided. The second thing, the Robert McKee episode, this first episode, this is, like, literally V12. Um dramatically different gotcha. V12 gotcha. because uh-huh. and every time we played it for people people came away with different experiences they thought oh my god Jan is an idiot and Robert McKee is brilliant that was the first the one, first pass the first pass we played for a group of people and it came out we played episodes 1A and 1B and it came out Robert 
was great. Thank God Jan, she found him. Thank God she help found her this whole time? him. She's such a dummy. Yes, he's the wise old mentor. Yes. She's such a dummy. And also, like, they were really against your mom. Yes, people thought my mom was just going to be because Robert is so um um deeply suspicious of her and everything that she knows to be true about her own experience. Right. Um. So then the v- V2, we rewrite it, and I'm like, you guys, it's fine. I had a whole section where I was like, you know, I invited him to this interview, right? Like, <laughs> he responded to my email. Yeah. Like, he's here because I asked him to be here like mm-hmm. I, I, it's from a position of strength that you have to be vulnerable and investigate your own story like and then people were like oh that doesn't that people got the wrong end there and then there was another version where it was like oh my god jan is being bullied some of the same people mind you from that first lesson right. <laughs> oh, flipped from yeah flipped from oh my god thank god robert's there to oh my god jan's being bullied I, I can't stand that guy and none of those were the point so to your point about clarity, it was just uh, trying to get all the blinders out of people, out of the way, shutting all the doors that are detours to get down to, no, 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 we we just want to know, where do we start from? And we start from a place of, your life isn't what you thought it was. And we know that because losing somebody you didn't know has all of a sudden opened up a completely different feeling inside your body. Like, mm-hmm. all that is information. Let's investigate it. Um and, and also, um, so many people we talk to you have some sort of, like, therapeutic lens. We talk to a lot of different counselors of the course of this, talk to a lot of different artists who are um, so kind and empathetic. And he wasn't treating me like a person. He was treating me like a writer. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. <laughs> what I like about where we landed with episode 1A is I get to function in a lot of ways as that protest voice that the audience yeah, might have. Which you genuinely yes. felt. Oh, which I yes. genuinely felt. I was very upset at the way he spoke to you about several things in your life, and I still get upset about it. Like, this is all a very authentic reaction of I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the reason I think it is so useful to start episode 1A with Robert is we are showing the audience that we're not going to be precious with your story. (laughs) Like, it is so clear right off the bat, like, we're in this for real. And we're going to do the hard stuff. And it's not always going to be very fun. And you'll be able to see when I, like, I would really love to cut that part where I keep talking and there's a delay and I can't tell that Robert's interrupting me and it makes everyone cringe so badly. It's the worst. I would love to cut that part. But it's so authentic to the experience. So, again, you know, we were saying, we're, pay- we're digging until we figure out what's actually happening. That's actually happening in the in this part of the the story. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Jen just keeps talking and is kind of afraid to let people tell her what's true until they kind of brutally interrupt and tell her what they see. And all of yeah. that is in service of the audience knowing that we mean it when yeah. we say it's a gonna be okay. And if we, you know, if we wrap this in a bow with a nice sound cue and make you feel good, we've done it wrong. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of this Robert interview is in service of proving that point. We're not going to do that. And I don't think we have. And I think we've stood true to that. And I think that. Oh, I agree. It would probably be lovely if we like got your feet wet with like a nicer, easier, um, lovelier interview where the guest and I were completely hit it off. Again, I don't like, know. And still tweet each other. Oh, no. Tweet, no, I disagree. still tweet each other to this day. I you do? Tr- I trust you so much more, Jan, because you're willing to show me this part. Ugh. Yes. Yes, 100%. It's a it's a snap to conversation. It it's so not at all what I am expecting it to be as it begins and it's it just so quickly becomes the kind of conversation where you feel like I have to hang on every word of this because it's going in a direction I did not see coming. Um <laughs> and I agree very much with Carson that I think it it endows you with a tremendous amount of respect and a lot of intrigue. Um because 
just to stay with this for a moment, one of the things that's happening that I cannot imagine how what I would have done in a similar moment is that he is being very, very, very judgmental about your parents. Um, and I know that, um, that like there's, and, and as you say, he's treating them as characters, not as people, but you're making a story out of real people that you're related to. And I don't know if I would have been able to, to roll with that in, in the way that you do in this. And I'm, I guess I'm just curious to know again, like what, what it was like inside of those moments or, or am, is that even what it felt like for you? Did, did, were you in a space of experiencing them more as characters in that moment? I like characters who are, um, surprising and do kind of awful things for reasons that we come to understand. I like complicated characters. Uh So as he started treating people I know, like my mom, for instance, who I'm um, immensely protective of, like a character and sort of like PDFing them, you know, um, turning them down to one color, starting from a trope, if you will. Uh Um, And then kind of uh, what he did is he just sort of presented a whole different point of view on on what I thought was already like a flat part of the story. I thought mm-hmm. I kind of knew my mom down pat. And he just completely complicated that by presenting a whole other version of her that was down pat. And all of that gave me the freedom to treat her like a much more complicated, nuanced person. Yeah. So I just have one more question I want to ask. And, and it's a question for both of you. You guys are both, as we have discussed theater artists. You both work in radio and podcasting. You are both very experienced in the fourth dimensional process of taking disparate pieces and trying to organize them into some kind of deliverable artistic experience for people to digest. But this piece, it cuts just so close to the bone. And it is so brave and it is so sprawling and it is so, it goes so deep into these caverns of grief and and all these other very, very tricky emotions. And I'm curious to know, is this the hardest thing you've ever done? It's hard for me to say that this is the hardest thing I've ever done because it doesn't always feel like it's my pain to hold. Um, but a lot of my work as a human has been learning that it is okay for the people who are closest to me to be uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) It's hard for you. It's very hard for me. um, And it is okay for me to allow them to have pain because it's in service of them finding their story. So I would say um, as maybe an artist or as a like, worker. No, this isn't the hardest thing I've ever done. I have great collaborators. People help me in ways that I've never had before, and that's Mm -hmm. incredible. I can delegate things. Oh my God, it's so great. I have support. Um, But as a human and as a friend, um, 
it's been very hard to sit in this pain and it may have been the hardest thing I've ever done to allow my friend to have this much pain um, and just just be here for it. Oh, I was going to say, um, the word that comes to mind to me is joy because joy, like, oh God, we're going to go inside out, right? Like joy doesn't exist without sadness. Uh-huh. Like deep sadness uh, has to be felt for deep joy to yep. also be there. So there's this interesting like melancholy tone over this whole thing that my deepest joy is my friendship with Janielle. And that comes out of like a very deep sadness and pain that she's had to go through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, the hardest thing I've ever done is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe it's the hardest thing, but it's had the highest payoff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know I know what I'm capable of now. Yeah. And I yeah. know that I exist and I'm legitimate and that um, pain can be felt without um, destroying things. Actually, it might be where some of the life can come from. It's also very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell the people that they're not just going to cry. They'll also laugh with us because grief turns out is hilarious. Yes. It's yes. I, I I can confirm what Janielle and Carson are telling you right now. That <laughs> there are some very <laughs> funny moments people. in this. <laughs> but I often find myself laughing the hardest when I have also been been made to to feel the most deeply unfunny mm. things and when when mm-hmm. those two things can exist in harmony with each other that's uh, that, that's uh, w- what we say in the creative business the good stuff <laughs> <laughs> the technical term thank you so much for talking to us Sam yes thank you Sam thank you guys Family Ghosts is hosted Produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman. Thanks to Janiel Kastner and Carson McCain. Find Untitled Dad Project wherever you're listening to this. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Louis Guerra. Family Ghosts wouldn't be possible without the support of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits hear Family Ghosts episodes ad-free, and they get exclusive access to bonus content that's not available anywhere else. If you have the means, please consider joining the Kindred Spirits today at patreon.com familyghosts. And if you don't have the means, no worries. Thank you for listening. And please consider supporting the show for free by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify, where you can do that now, It will take 30 seconds of your life, and it will make a huge difference in the life of family ghosts. Thank you for listening, Ghost Family. We'll be back again in two weeks, right here on Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted.